Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. My name is Tobias, and I'm back again with Yusi. What's up? Two things. Uh, whenever we start recording, I get this pop-up in the program that we use for recording. That recording has started. Would you like to leave the meeting? <laughs> and, uh, yes, and, and then, please. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> let me leave. And then there's an OK button, but it's, it's, it's not on the usual location. So <laughs> for me, the house project continues. And, and I made a promise to myself and, and to everybody else I know that I, I promise not to talk about the house every week because it's perhaps exciting to me but might not be too exciting for anybody else but we we've progressed so it's been about six seven months now since we started with the whole permissions and asking for agreements and everything and now we're actually finally digging so we got rid of the old house we did a bit of more planning because of the plumbing and everything else we're digging now, so there, there are sort of days when nothing happens, but you keep paying the bills and invoices, and, and you do a lot of emails, a lot of calls. And then there are days, like today, that a lot of things happen at the same time. But we're still roughly on track to get the house built by early 2022. And obviously, some surprises might be happening in the future. But for now, it's about six more months then hopefully we're done with the actual house and then we can spend the rest of next year on the garden and everything else. But that's probably what's top of mind for me. How about for you? So for me this week, it's also all about the house and I don't mind talking about that. I don't spend that much time talking about my house, I think, at the moment. But I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting thing and, and perhaps a, a personal angle as well. So I am finally moving this week. I am getting the keys to the house tomorrow. And we are then moving the day after. So that's pretty cool. So apart from the five-week flu that we have had now in the house, uh, you know, with the kindergarten germs, it's going around and around. I also had a, a dream now because there's a lot of thoughts around the house. So I had a dream that Vesa Juvonen, for those of you who know, he works with Microsoft and he's a big player in the community. I've known him for a long time. He came out and helped me build a pool in the new house. And we don't have a particularly big garden. And the dream was not actually of my actual house. It was a different house that I bought, apparently, in the dream. And Vesa came out to uh, help me build a pool. Actually, he built it for me after I hacked his fridge because that was an IoT-enabled fridge. But I helped him insulate it because apparently you need to do that with pools. And we used textile wallpapers for that. And we chose the prettiest pattern we could find that looked really good. And then we used that for insulation. So I hope that will work. And shortly after the pool was done, you see, you showed up with your family and you were driving a car on top of the water and then you delivered a bottle of sparkling cheese. So that's probably a lot of processing going on on my end for the house. But <laughs> what interests me here is it's not that I'm building a, a pool or Vesa is building a pool for me or I'm insulating it with textile wallpapers for whatever reason. Uh, it's the fact that there's two fins in my dream, but none of my own family members is part of it. <laughs> this is this is slightly scary, but I think this is more interesting. 
the sparkling cheese that's that's perhaps one thing to consider. that's the scary part <laughs> it is it is i i know Veza as well and i'm not sure how how handy he is with, with building a pool but obviously he has time now before you actually need the pool so perhaps if he gets studying on that you might actually get the pool built by two fins <laughs> yeah who knows Alrighty, so today we will be talking about getting certified on Azure Security with AZ500. So Microsoft certifications, and, and we sort of talked about certifications all the way back in episode five, and that was more than a year ago. And then we talked about AZ204, the Azure Developer Certification in episode 76. But but how is it for you nowadays, Toby? Do you do certifications? I, I think you've done AZ500. I, I have the AZ500 and I have a lot of thoughts on that one. Um, it was one of the more tricky ones I've done, for sure. Um, when you asked the question, do you do certifications? Well, I, I try to get the ones relevant for my role and also relevant for the business I'm working with. Sometimes you need to get certifications also to reach certain levels of partnership. It's not like I'm spending a lot of time getting certifications, but this one in particular, AC500, I did get in 2019. A slightly tricky one compared to all the others that I've done. In the past, I did a lot of developer exams and, and these are fairly easy, uh, I think, because I've spent a lot of time working with you know these areas. And this security one touches more on uh, you know other topics that perhaps at the time was not uh, you know, top of mind for me. So definitely a tricky one, but I, I did pass and I'm very happy for that. And also did this renewal thing. I think we talked about that in, in one of the episodes as well, that after you take a certification, then a year or two years after you have to do this renewal, like an assessment of your skills. So I recently did that for the AC500 as well to, uh, to keep my skills fresh. I had the same. I did the uh, initially. I did the AZ five hundred in late twenty nineteen, I think, and then I did the renewal uh, a couple of months ago because you start getting those notifications six months before your certification is about to expire. Uh, so there's a lot of certifications nowadays. Back in the day, and back in the day for me means nineteen ninety five, nineteen ninety seven, when we had MCSE. And that was mostly it. But nowadays, um, what I use almost on a weekly basis, I use the certification map. And you can find that from aka.ms slash train cert poster. And I have memorized this address because I keep opening this. And occasionally they update this, but they have all of the certifications and direct links to the requirements and what sort of source material you have. Uh, that you need to study up in order to hopefully pass. Uh, sorry, I, I just to mention on that poster as well, I did take a look at that just now. And I remember I saw it a while back, but I really like how this is updated where you can actually now find your certification path a lot easier. In the past, it was perhaps not super easy to understand where a path leads or how to get a specific credential or a certificate, but this makes it a lot easier. So that's a very good tip. And in, in essence, if you're listening on this and, and you're unable to open the train cert poster at the same time, in essence, you have the fundamentals. So, so there's uh, one for security, one for AI and so on. 
and all of these are something dash 900. So when you see 900, you know it's a fundamental one. And what it means with the fundamentals is that they are fairly easily approachable, about 20 questions, not as many as the real certifications. And then you have the specialist ones, like AZ500, the security one we're talking today. But then there's stuff like AZ220, which is the IoT developer. So awfully specific on exactly one topic. And then the third bit, which is the majority of the certifications, are the different associated and expert level certs for Azure, Microsoft 365, Power Platform, and Dynamics 365. But perhaps what's essential here, there isn't a separate on-premises collection of certifications anymore. There used to be Windows Server 2013, or was it 2012 and 2016 and so on. But nowadays, all of the on-premises related things are part of the more cloud-focused certifications. So let's talk about the AZ500. And when you pass this, you become Microsoft Certified Azure Security Engineer Associate. So I like one the name here. <laughs> yes, it's short it's, titles. <laughs> it's 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 very nice looking, uh, and this it's it's exactly one exam. So you book the exam, you pass that exam, you earn this certification, and it's valid for exactly one year. Unless, and I, I did have to look this up, unless you took it prior to June 2021, then it's valid for two years. But when, when we are recording this, it's already June 2021. So if you're listening and, and hearing about AZ500 for the first time, then whenever you take it, and if you pass, it will be valid for one year. That makes sense. So I think that's why I mentioned that it was one or two years, because I remember when when I took this in 2019, uh, it was valid for two years, and then you had to do this reassessment. Uh, but that makes sense. I think one year is a good time span because the technology in this space changed so rapidly. So even after a couple of months, a lot of things will have changed. So staying Azure and up to date is important. So hopefully this is a way to, to keep people slightly on their toes, even if the reassessment is fairly easy to do, it's at least a, a way to show that you want to keep your skills um, you know, fairly relevant in, in a field that is changing a lot. In, indeed, and especially with security, it seems every month we are getting a new service or new capability uh, that you need to consider when you're building anything security related. The recertification, it's free, it's online. I think it says it's timed for 45 minutes, but when I was doing all of my recertifications earlier this year, I think I did five or six in total, uh, I, I didn't have a timer at all. And it was about 25 questions, but they are not as, as lengthy and complex questions anymore with the recertification because the assumption is that you already know all of the basic stuff because you've passed the certification once. Uh, and if, if after two fails, if you fail for two times, then you have a 24-hour cooldown period. And then you can try again. And again, if you fail for the third time, obviously you have to read more and study more, but then you have another 24-hour cooldown. But there is no max tries here. So you can try 20 times 
to eventually hopefully pass. Yeah. And then there are the new uh, security-focused certifications. So there's SC200, SC300, and SC400. Have you had a chance to do any of these yet? I have not taken a look at those at all. I mean, they are on my bucket list for certifications somewhere, but they're not really a priority at the moment. I do know about them. Um, I've taken a gander to just take a quick look. But for now, the next one I will do is probably the SC900 for the security and compliance, just to get the fundamentals in, which I hope will be a breeze now after actually having passed the AC500. I have not taken a look at the others yet, but definitely something that I that is on the on the roadmap for me. So the SC200 and 300, they are more Azure related. And SC400 also involves quite a bit of Microsoft 365 related security capabilities. So if you want to get everything in terms of security for Azure, you have to do AZ, uh, sorry, SC900, the fundamentals. You have to do AZ500, this one we're talking about now, and SC200 and SC300, and I would argue also SC400. Then you would have everything in terms of security-focused certifications, and that would be five certifications in total, even though one of those is the fundamental one, and that, I would argue, is the easiest one as well. Yeah, and, and if you work with... Microsoft 365 and not just Azure, which I do as well, then you also have this MS500. So if we're talking about AZ500 for Azure, you also have MS500, which is the Microsoft 365 Security Administrator Associate. And I think that's the complete picture of all the security-related exams in this space. So that is the, the final. If you want the full uh, breadth of them then, and you do work with 365 in some capacity, then that is definitely one to get which is um, also a tricky one covering a lot of areas, but more targeting Microsoft 365. And if you work with Power Platform, obviously there's a different set of certifications in there and they all start with PL something. And I've, I've spent the last couple of months uh, progressing through those. And then I plan on doing the SC200, 300, and 400. Uh, and there's plenty of security there as well on the Power Platform side, but they are more tied to Dynamics 365 as opposed to Azure AD related security and roles. So the AZ500, I recall, and it's it's been uh, not quite two years since I did it, that it was very, very hands-on. So a lot of the questions were really hands-on, like you need to achieve this. What sort of a tool would you use and what parameters would you apply and you sort of have to memorize those but you also have to understand what tool to use and when so in in that sense if you're preparing for this you need to go through all of the hands-on labs to to really get hands-on with all of the numerous different different services that have to do with security yeah and when it comes to this one in particular, I wrote a blog post after I did it with a couple of thoughts on uh, expectations versus reality for this exam and taking an exam online and stuff like that. And a few of the things I noted is, um, you know, if you're preparing for this, so like you said, it's very hands-on. And, you know, if you do these hands-on labs, you'll be well prepared. 
if you don't do them or if, if there are specific areas that you might want to look into a bit extra, the notes I made is that VNet, VNet connectivity and security, subnets, site-to-site VPN, networking, network security in general, and you know specifically in Azure with regards to VMs. These are questions I got a lot. Um, so I do a lot of security stuff in Azure uh, already on a daily basis, but I was a bit unprepared for some of these. I have, for example, in our small business, we don't set up a lot of site-to-site VPNs. So while I understand the concept, perhaps I don't have the experience to understand exactly how every bit of that works. Um, so that might be something to look into. Um, I would have recommended myself, if I were to do it again, to look deeper into Azure policies, uh, which since I have done a lot. And I would also dive deeper into uh, general practices and capabilities of the various firewalls in Azure. You have the web firewalls, you have the firewall, you have different solutions for protecting data and different types of firewalls. So I would take a, a, you know, another look at that if I were to recommend myself to go for this exam again. So take a look at the prerequisites. We'll probably talk about the things we will be measured on during the exam and then evaluate. You know, if Again, if I were to do this again, I would take a step back. I would really read through what are the topic areas and what does the exam cover and then be doing an honest evaluation with myself. Where, where am I lacking, right? Because if if you stand before it and you think, I know 100% of this, well, that's great. Um, I did not know 100% of this. I did pass it, but if I were to do it again, I would probably read up on the things I just mentioned. Uh, and now with the updated exam, which I think in October 2020, they updated it with a couple of new material, I would reread this kind of exam outline and what, what is covered on the exam. So that is probably my, my only and best tip. Take a look at the topic areas you know, do an honest evaluation for yourself where you think you might need to spend some extra time because that time will be well worth it. I think I had uh, quite a bit of multiple choice and drag and drop questions during the exam. But then I had this one one hour section that was timed separately. So in total, you have two and a half hours. And out of that one hour was, was reserved for a lab. And that was interesting because what happened is uh, the, the testing software would open a remote desktop to Windows 10 and they spun up an uh, Azure subscription for me with a set of predefined things. I think they were using Azure Blueprint for that. And then on the sideline, they had 10 tasks and you are free to choose how much time to spend on each task, but you had 60 minutes in total. And individually, they, they, they weren't that challenging. There was one, for example, asking you to configure log analytics according to specific settings. But if you've never done anything with, with log analytics, you can easily spend 10 minutes just clicking through the Azure portal or thinking if you need to use Azure Cloud Shell to enable something. But if you know the stuff, I'd, I'd say it takes 20 minutes to do these 10 tasks. So this was the first exam for me out of all, of all of the ones that I, I, I had done previously, where I actually had to do something beyond just selecting things and thinking how I would do something. And I don't know since the update is, if, if this is still there, but I, I felt it was more fair 
because it doesn't really matter how I'm doing certain things as long as the end result is something that they measure against. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because I know you took this exam shortly after I did, uh, so in the same time span, but I did not have the lab. So now I feel that I need to kind of retake it and have the actual lab just for that to feel real. But I get the point with questions, you can sometimes deduct, you know, this is probably not the the right answer and you can exclude this one from your potential answers. And then you can kind of make a deduction of what is most likely. When you have a lab, you perhaps cannot do that the same way because you have a task, configure this. You cannot deduct that in, in the same way as when you have four options for a question. So I, I really hope that more certifications have more labs in the future because I like this. It's more dynamic and it shows that you can actually prove that you have experience in this area, not just be able to deduct whatever comes into question. Exactly. So the, the topics and areas the exam covers, there's four main topics. The first one is, is managing identity and access. The second one is platform protection. Third one is security operations. And the last one is securing data and apps. And roughly, they are about 25 to 30% each. Platform protection is 15 to 20% of the total questions. I think I had about 55 questions. So you can expect about 10 to 15 questions per topic during the exam. Is, is there anything uh, you would pick from here that would be interesting for the audience to know? And, and we will provide the link to the exact topics as well. Yep. So I, I mentioned I wrote that blog post and I, I pulled out all the links I could find to these different areas and put them already in. So we can also put this into the show notes. Um, so for AAD, Managed Identity and Access, then for AAD, um, you know, configuring service principles, directory groups, users, uh, password write back, which is something I knew about, did not really have experience with. There's a couple of things there uh, you should know about. If, if you do work with Azure generally as an administrator or you know, on the infrastructure side, you might probably know a lot of these things already. But there's also this section within Azure AD for configuring secure access by using Azure AD. And here's where it becomes interesting, where I would, again, if I were to redo it, the interesting parts are PIM, Privileged Identity Management. I recall some questions on that. Configuring access reviews, you know, the obvious things with conditional access and MFA, stuff like this. But probably I would uh, take a look again at PIM, Privileged Identity Management, how that works, because I, re I recall that comes up uh, quite a bit. And then into this topic, there's also uh, managing application access. And the application access in this case is creating AAD apps, uh, configure app registration permissions and scopes, um, configuring consent, manage API access to Azure subscriptions and resources, stuff like that. Uh, and then I think also access control falls into the, the first topic. And from there, it's about how do you let people access or tools access your subscription and resources? How do you change subscription administrators, configure uh, role-based access control, uh, identities, apply the principle of least privilege. So like adopting zero trust, how do you interpret permissions? Uh, how do you check access to resources, stuff like that. And I think I recall, I had a question on that as well. You know, how do you check the access of 
this individual or this app? How can you check what access it has inside of Azure? So everything about access control. So I, I think those are good things to know about. So if out of all the things I just mentioned, there's something you think, oh, I don't know what that is, or I have never worked with uh, PIM, take a look at that. Uh, you don't have to spend too much time with it. You just need to understand what it is, how it works, what type of configurations you can do with it, and how to how do you enhance the security in your organization by using it. And then you should be hopefully set to uh, pass the questions in that section. One of the things that I really needed to study further when, when preparing for this exam was storage accounts. So obviously I've been using those since, since the beginning of times, but I was suspecting they would ask an awful lot about shared access signatures, the different tokens you can create and how do you manage and expirations for those and what the APIs are. And I don't really need to work with those on a daily basis. So I spent quite a bit of time on the last bit securing data and apps, especially in key vault and storage accounts. But then uh, what was interesting is that in platform protection, uh, there's advanced security for compute, which obviously means virtual machines. But there's also one bullet point for you need to know isolation for Azure Kubernetes service. And an AKS, Azure Kubernetes service, it's, it's not strictly a part of the exam, but it reminded me when ages ago I was doing uh, an NT4 certification and they had a question on, on novel netware, which was all the rage at the time. And, and I wasn't that deeply into novel yet. And, and it sort of throws you off. You're focused on Microsoft technologies and suddenly you have Kubernetes. You need to know this. So I really needed to uh, do, a, do a bit of a quick catch up on all the security related features for Kubernetes when you run that on Azure. And that was a short, small part of the certification. But I also felt that that's also the one that once you know that you can easily get the points for it because they are not doing a super deep dive on that, but they're sort of poking to see, do you even understand what the topic is? And if, yeah. you, if you can get a level 200 understanding on that, that then it becomes much easier. Yeah, and I, I remember that one. And, and the reason I do that is uh, in 2019, when I took this exam, I worked a lot with AKS, a lot more than I do now. And I, I recall specifically when I read up on these things that if you're listening in, you do work with Kubernetes and you want to go for this exam, think about role-based access control, how you integrate with AAD, pod identities, which is important, secrets in Azure Key Vault. Uh, you remember we talked about this several times in several episodes. How do you store secure data or sensitive credentials and stuff like this in your applications? Well, you use Azure Key Vault. Then you also need to understand how to logically isolate clusters. So you have a dev and staging cluster, you have a production cluster, stuff like this. And then of course, if you run on-prem or if, if you want to physically isolate the clusters, you can do that. And you can also do this with different regions and whatever. These are the things that, that I recall came to mind when looking, in, looking into that. So that's just a side note. And, and you mentioned here the, so like the second topic, if the first one was managed identity and access, now this one is then platform protection. From my point of view, what I also remember here 
which I also mentioned a bit in the earlier on. One section of that is implement advanced network security. And this is definitely where I needed to brush up. This was my absolutely weakest uh, section in my exam, because at the, at the point when I did that, I did not have experience with all of the things that I needed. And, and some of those things are like virtual networks, VPN authentication, express route encryption. I never used express route. I never had a, re, you know, a need for that, but I recall that coming into the, the questions. Uh, most likely I failed that one. Uh, I tried to deduct it. I don't know whether I failed or, or passed a specific exam. I just know my percentages of passing score was lowest in advanced network security when I took it, <laughs> because uh, obviously there was a lot of questions I had no real experience with, like Azure Application Gateway and configuring Azure Front Door Service as an application gateway. Sure, I've done that uh, in one sense, but perhaps not in the sense that the, how they asked the questions. DDoS protection, never used it. It's too expensive for what we do, uh, because the price tag on that is, is a lot. So if you're an enterprise, I understand it. If you're a startup, it's perhaps a bit more difficult to justify that price. But anything network is, again, redoing the exam, talking to my younger self, two years younger myself, I would recommend read more, read everything from the material on implementing advanced network security. Even if there's things you think you know, just take a look. Because I thought I knew a lot of those things. And when I got the questions, then I was a bit surprised. Like, this is this is not how I work with it. You know, this is how I use it. And according to those best practices, but then there's questions for if you're an enterprise and you have multiple sites and you have, uh, you know, a distributed company worldwide and you have five sites across the globe and two of them are trusted and the others are not, then how do you configure this thing in order for the security to be, uh, you know, top and department one needs to be able to communicate with de department two from this region to that region. And, you know, there's a lot of those things going on that I perhaps at the time did not have enough experience with. Looking at the topics now, and, and we've simply written those in, in our OneNote, looking at the topics now, a lot of these topics are IT pro focused, IT pro related in the sense there's, there's the, 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 the VNets and the networks and the firewalling, all of the usual stuff. And then on the last bit, securing data and apps, it gets more to platform as a service and cloud native and, and, and true security in the sense. But keep in mind also that if you plan on doing the AZ-104, which is the uh, Azure Administrator Associate Certification, it also has a lot of the network-related security things. So if, you, if you're planning on doing that first, then you already gain the knowledge for AZ-500 at least for the platform protection and managing identity and access. Yep. So there's 1,000 points, the, the maximum score, and you need 700 or more to pass. I can't recall how much I got. I got more than 700 for sure, but I did not get 1,000. Same here. Uh, I don't recall the exact, but it was well below 1,000, but also well above 700. So. I guess maybe somewhere in between perhaps 850 or something. I don't really know. To me, it's the point here does not really matter. It's the fact that you passed the exam, which shows you have adequate knowledge to understand this. You don't have to get a, a thousand points. Uh, I do see people sometimes shouting from the rooftops, I got a thousand points on this exam, which is really great. That is you know, an achievement. 
That's not how reality works, though. Nobody cares if you had a 1,000 points or 100% on the test, because when reality hits, you just have to be you know, uh, figuring things out as they come, because reality is not a test. Reality will look different, and you need to kind of adapt uh, to the situation and be yeah, proactive and reactive in certain cases. So uh, in the end, I, I think if you pass above 700, you're in a good place because that shows you have the knowledge. So uh, the reason I mentioned that is just, I, I see a lot of hype around, I got 100% on this test score. I got 1000 points here. Doesn't matter. You know, it's if you got 700 points exactly and you passed the exam, congratulations are in order. I will salute you. That shows to me that you have the skills and knowledge required to work in that space. Uh, and I could go to, go to you and ask you questions about it uh, if I need a, a sparring partner. And that's what I care about, like reality versus uh, academic test scores, if you will. I, I agree on this one. I did the, uh, the PL200, which I recall is the functional consultant certification for Power Platform. And I think I got something like 725 out of 1,000. So I passed. But then you sort of start, start second-guessing yourself. Well, I went through all of my answers, and I changed a few of those. Could I have, could I have gotten 800 with the previous selections? Or was that the reason I passed? Because I realized that... <laughs> My, my opinion changed while I was doing the exam. But at the end of the day, I don't really care because once you pass, you forget the scores and you just tick that on your to-do list. Okay, this is done, moving forward. Yeah, and I, I think that makes sense too. Don't overanalyze, don't second guess. If there's one experience I have from taking these exams is I make the answer. I might not be entirely sure, but if I'm not sure when I read the question, I'm not going to be sure 10 minutes later either. I mark the question. I don't mark the question. I just answer the question. And I move on. And I know this might be a wrong answer, but I don't want to think about it anymore because going back to the question, my experience is I will just be stuck in the same kind of thought pattern that I had. And I'm going to think along the same lines and I might change something. But again, is that the right choice to change it? So usually I go with my instinct and my, my gut feeling for what is uh, what I believe is the right thing then I stick with it. And so far, so good. But again, back to reality. If you answer a question wrong, or if you do something in reality and you implement it wrong, then fairly quickly will probably realize and be able to correct it, as opposed to a test where you make a selection of a question and then that's it, that's final. And if somebody hasn't done any of the exams yet, but is, per is, is perhaps thinking of doing the AZ500, you cannot get minus points. So you cannot complete a certification exam and get minus 700. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it wasn't like this years ago, but nowadays I feel this is more fair. So the lowest you can get is zero, uh, which obviously tells you that you know absolutely nothing about the topic. I, I often uh, use the model that if I get 500 or less, then I didn't really study. I didn't really know the stuff. If I get 600 but not 700, then I'm really close. I just need to ramp up a bit. And anything over 700, I'm good. I, I know that I'm capable of learning the stuff and, and I can learn more as I go. Yeah, makes sense. One thing that I uh, came to my mind is I had a discussion with someone about why would you even want to take 
the certification. I think that that's something we didn't really touch on, except that, do you want to have it? Do you have it? But why would you want to have it? And uh, it became clear to me when I had this discussion with a couple of different people, um, some of these individuals have been in, in the thoughts process of changing jobs. And that's why it became a relevant discussion point. So I looked up the most relevant job titles uh, for the AC500, according to your acclaim, which is the kind of the website you use to put up an official verified badge of your exam, where they can say, all right, we verify that Yussi or Tobias has achieved this 2019, October uh, 22nd or whatever it was, and that it has been renewed as of this date. On their website, they also list you know, the most relevant job titles for that exam, uh, according to all the job sites and job openings that exist. So obviously software engineers, DevOps engineers, data engineers, cloud engineers, cloud security engineers, and managers in information security. These are the common kind of job titles uh, when it comes to AC500. And I'm just mentioning that because the certification to me has been about achieving a specific status with Microsoft partnership, because then if we have X amount of people who has that certification and these certifications, we get gold or silver competency from Microsoft. Whereas if you're an individual looking perhaps to accelerate your career or do a job change, then that information is highly relevant. And you can go and take a look at that. I will put that in the show notes and you can see where people are looking for people or individuals with that specific knowledge and skill set, which is to me very interesting because it's not just another exam. It will open doors to potential employers looking for security engineers cloud security engineers, managers in, in IT uh, and information security. I agree on this one. And when you do an exam, the, the purpose is not that then you can prove that you know everything about the topic, but I see it as a driver's license that you know the basics at least and a little bit beyond. And you're capable of learning this stuff and you're capable of proving that at least I know this bit here. Um, so if you want to study for this, uh, we'll, we'll put the links in the show notes, but uh, there's uh, free resources on Microsoft Learn. So we'll put that link in the show notes. Then there's the official courseware, which is four days as a, as a classroom or remote delivery. And all of the labs for the courseware are now hosted on GitHub, meaning that you can access those, you can go through those at your own pace and use whatever Azure subscription you have to try the labs as well. And I found, I, I found that going through the labs with some thought, that really helped me in understanding some of the trickier topics. I didn't have that much experience yet before going to the certification. And I, I think what I used most is like all of these things on Microsoft Learn. Um, I did not know at the time that the labs existed and I'm not sure they did exist when I, when I took this exam, uh, but I went through Microsoft Learn and they have like managed security operations, managed identity and access, implement virtual machine, host security and Azure and all these kind of things. So I went through some of the modules there and that was also really helpful to understand really, okay, I know this area and I did this ramp up on Microsoft Learn. You know, it was a breeze, super easy. Then I went on to the next one you know, understood only half of it or had experience with half of it. So I had to read up a bit. I redid it and then it was a breeze. So I think that makes sense if you're serious about taking this, not only for ticking a box, but also for the knowledge gain 
then actually the studies leading to this exam will, will be something that, you know, lives on for, for a long time with you in your career. And now I'm starting to think that I haven't done the SC 900, the fundamentals either. So I might just book it for this week because I, I want to do it as well. <laughs> there you go. Alrighty, I think this was everything we had on getting certified on Azure Security with AZ500. And we have the last bit, the surprising question. And today, Toby will ask me a surprising, unexpected question. So today, it's a very short question, um, open for interpretation in whatever way you want. And the question is, where do you not mind waiting? That's an interesting question. Um, Nowadays, uh, especially in the past couple of weeks, Finland has been opening up more and more. Uh, the, the, the coronavirus situation is, is, is fairly good now uh, in my area. And what I've found about myself now is that when I need to run errands and often with the house building, there's a lot of things you need to manage and handle to drive back and forth to different places, is that if I can design my day and plan my day ahead... And if something unexpected happens, something is cancelled, perhaps I, I, I was planning on having a meeting at one o'clock and at two o'clock, I, I already have to be in a different place. If that one o'clock meeting is cancelled, I really don't mind waiting for that extra time. But the challenge for me has always been that nowadays, when you get this extra time, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, that, that you cannot really add anything to the slot the, the too obvious approach is, is, to, is to fish your phone from the pocket. And perhaps you're, you're waiting at the traffic lights or in your car in a parking slot and just mindlessly start scrolling through news and emails and, and whatnot. So I've paid a lot of focus uh, this year that when I get this extra time that I know that I need to wait for something, that I try to do something, I, I go for a walk, I go and get a cup of coffee and just stare at the wall, for example. <laughs> and that's perhaps the thing that I don't mind. I don't mind waiting if there's no expectation that I fill that time with something productive instead. All right. Good. Good answer. My very short answer to the same question would be, I would not mind waiting in the coffee shop because I know I'm going to get a good cup of coffee and I am not stressed about anything. I can just linger around, listen to the background music and have a good time. Yeah, yeah, same would apply to me as well. And uh, oftentimes nowadays, if I pick up the, the youngest kid from daycare, it's about three kilometers away, which is what, slightly less than two miles. Uh, if I walk there and suddenly I realize I'm too early because you don't want to pick up the kid too early, uh, I really don't mind waiting just in the sunshine, uh, waiting close by with a cup of coffee, not, not really doing anything. That's, that's probably those, those hidden moments in your day that you can sort of steal away for you to not do anything. Those are probably the most gratifying and satisfying ways of waiting. Makes sense. All righty. This was fun as always. Thank you for tuning in and until next week. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. 
Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltasher.com. Stay tuned.